The reading of God's Word this morning comes from Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 19. Hear the Word of the Lord. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness! No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together. Our merciful and gracious Heavenly Father, um, we thank You that we can come before You this morning to worship You. Uh, Father, we pray that now as we prepare to sit beneath Your Word, that You would allow our hearts to be still, that You would calm us with Your grace and with Your peace that we would hear the voice of our Maker, the voice of the One who came into this world, the voice of the One who spoke to the blind and they received their sight, the voice of the One who called to the deaf and they were made to hear, the voice of the One who called into the tomb itself for the dead to rise, and they rose. Father, we pray that we would hear Your voice this morning with the same power with the same effectiveness that you would cause us to see and hear and that you would even raise the dead, that we might see the glory and the wonder 
of the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we do pray. Amen. Please be seated. And the children, ages three to first grade, you're dismissed to Children's Church. You make your way to the back doors, you'll be taken to Children's Church class. It's hard to believe that Christmas is just five days away now, Um, and uh, I was going to give those kids a chance to leave before I mention that, Um, getting hyped up. Um, But this Christmas and Advent season, uh, over the past several weeks, we've been looking together at a particular theme, Um, and that theme um, that we have been trying to remind ourselves of, or or, or perhaps you're hearing it for the first time with any clarity, um, is that Jesus came, and He came into this world to give us rest, to give us the rest we deeply need and really desperately crave. And this morning we're looking at Matthew chapter 6 as the final installment in our little series on rest. And I hope to be very practical with you this morning, but I'm going to begin a little bit differently. Um, See, I had originally planned on preaching through the entire text uh, that Trace read for us a little while ago, Um, but I decided that what I'm really going to spend my time doing is drilling in more deeply into verses 25 through 34. And this is why. In verses 19 through 24, Jesus is basically telling us where our anxiety and our worry in life comes from, right? He's addressing why we experience such restlessness and disquiet and fear and anxiety in our lives. And he's basically saying that it's because we've placed our hope for rest in the wrong treasures and in the wrong masters. We've placed our hope for rest in treasures and masters that cannot deliver. Right? Just look at verse 19, for example. Jesus said that when you lay up earthly treasures... He's saying they are vulnerable. They are vulnerable to moth and to rust and thieves. It's a whole sermon unto itself. But what he was saying was earthly treasures, they are vulnerable to circumstance. They're vulnerable to time. They're vulnerable even to sin itself. And, And he's saying you will necessarily in your life be riddled with anxiety if you serve masters and treasures like that, that are so very, very vulnerable, and you will never be able to rest. Not too long ago, I was walking through my living room, and the TV was on, and um, I-, I wasn't even watching TV this time. I use a lot of TV illustrations, if you haven't been here before. But, um, but I heard this commercial in the background, and the narrator for this commercial came on, and these were his first words, he, said, he asked this question. He said, is the best of life passing you by because you still don't have? And then he said something. Um, and he went on to describe some kind of technology is what he was doing. But even as he was going on in the, in the commercial, he was using words like imagine, right? Imagine how whole and how complete and how more fulfilling your life would be if you just had this. And it was for some Memphis electronics store. But, um, you know, 
advertisements and commercials like that, they're constantly zinging by us. We're, we're bombarded by them all the time, and much of it is more subtle and sophisticated than that little advertisement was. Um, but here's the thing, it works. <laughs> At least it works on me. Um, and, you know, it works because I think what it's doing is it's tapping into and it's playing to the tune that's already going on in our hearts. Um, and, and I think you know what I'm talking about, where we're telling ourselves, if I don't have this or that, I, I can't, I know I'll be less than. I won't be satisfied. I won't be fulfilled. I, I won't be whole unless I get this or that. And what it creates in us is just deep anxiety and tension in our lives and restlessness in our hearts when we place our hope in treasure that cannot hope to deliver on its promise of rest, that will always be vulnerable to circumstance and time and sin. And in verses 19 through 24, Jesus, he was exposing that tune that's in our hearts. He was, he was exposing that chorus that's always kind of churning beneath the surface in our lives. And it's in the latter half, in verses 25 through 34, where we're going to spend our time this morning, where Jesus tells us how it is that our anxious hearts can be cured, how we can find and experience the deep rest that we are longing for in life, how we can find a treasure that will never disappoint, right, and can't be touched a treasure that can't be diminished by circumstance and time and even sin. And that's what I want to show you this morning. The anxiety in your life, right? Jesus says it gets cured. The anxiety in your life gets cured when you do these three things. When you learn how to argue, when you learn how to rest, and when you pursue. So first, we're cured of our anxiety by arguing. Jesus is saying here, <clears throat> that you have to learn how to argue the truth of God into your, deep into your heart. This sounds kind of weird to say out loud, but you have to learn how to... <clears throat> excuse me, you're not even going to hear it. Um, <clears throat> you have to learn how to talk to yourself. Look, one of my favorite psalms... <clears throat> I am very sorry... <clears throat> One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 103. It's a psalm of David, and this is how he begins that psalm. He says, Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. And then he goes on in the rest of the psalm to talk about all of those benefits. But you know what he's doing? He's talking to himself. He's saying, David... Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul, do not forget his benefits. He's talking to himself, and it sounds weird to say, but listen, learning how to talk to yourself is learning how to become a mature Christian. Only when you learn how to argue the truth of God deep into your heart will you find rest for yourself. It's how you get yourself out of your, your just narrow, tunnel-visioned kind of view of life, your myopic view of life, and you begin to see the bigger picture. It's how you get out of this narrow tunnel, tunnel vision that says, I have to have this in order to be whole and complete and fulfilled. You have to argue yourself into a bigger view of things, into a bigger picture. And that's what Jesus is actually telling us to do in this passage. 
<clears throat> he says, look at the birds. See the lilies of the field, he says. And that word for look or see in the Greek is actually a word that can be translated think or consider. Right? He's saying step out of your tunnel vision and get into this bigger picture. And the only way you can do that is by arguing with yourself, talking to yourself, thinking it out, considering it. <clears throat> really sorry about all the coughing. Um, I think, you know, I think if I don't get this, if I don't have this, if I don't achieve this, then I won't be happy and I won't be fulfilled. And Jesus is saying, you have to say to yourself, really? <laughs> you know, some of you probably remember that Saturday Night Live skit with Amy Poehler and uh, Seth Meyers when they're broadcasting the news and they're talking about these ridiculous stories and then they sum them all up and they say, really? Really? Does nobody remember that? Um, maybe it's just me. Um, I told you I watch a lot of TV. And then, anyway, what, what they're doing is they're basically exposing how ridiculous these stories are. And Jesus is telling us to do something very similar, although be it more sophisticated, because he's giving us a technical, logical argument for which I can't remember the Latin or even know how to pronounce it because I went to public school. But it's an argument. <laughs> it's an argument that means to argue from the lesser to the greater, right? Look at the birds. Think about the birds, right? Consider how they don't reap and how they don't sow and how they don't gather into barns. But God takes care of all their needs. Look at the lilies of the field, he's saying. They don't toil or spend. Think about it. Think about how God clothes the lilies of the field with more splendor than even Solomon himself. And you see this argument in verses 26 through 30. If God takes care of the birds and the lilies of the field, then how much more will he take care of you, is what Jesus is saying. And the fancy theological word for what Jesus wants you to argue into your heart is providence. Right? He's saying argue from providence. Think about how God cares about the lilies of the field, how he cares about his whole world and how he takes care of it, how he orders all things in order to provide for it, then what would he be willing to do for you? Jesus is saying, if you're going to cure your anxiety in life and you are going to find rest, you have to argue this truth deep into your heart. You have to learn how to talk to yourself. When you put together a puzzle you know, you dump a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle out onto your dining room table, and you scatter all those pieces, you turn them all right side up so that you can see what's on them. But whenever you put together these puzzles, you always leave the top of the box there on the dining room table so that you have that picture to refer to constantly, because you're constantly referring back to that picture. It's, it's what you use to make sense of all the little pieces that are spread out on your table. It tells you that the blues go here and the greens go here and this little pattern's going to fit down here, right? If you don't have the bigger picture, you get lost in your tunnel vision. You get lost in the pieces. Without the big picture, you have no idea where anything goes or how it could all possibly fit together. No idea where all these little pieces or what they all add up to. And let me be clear here. Jesus isn't saying in this passage that food and drink and clothes don't matter. He's not saying that any more than you could say about a puzzle, that the pieces don't matter. Because without the pieces, you don't have a puzzle, right? 
They matter. And food and drink and clothes in this material world, they matter. It's why we serve Cordova Elementary School. Because we care about things like poverty and suffering and injustice. Right? But what Jesus is saying, he's saying this. If all you see are the little pieces, and you don't see the big picture of God's providence, of his powerful control and provision of his world, if all you see are the little pieces, and you don't see God seated upon his throne, ruling and reigning over all things and sustaining all things, then you're going to be riddled with anxiety. You get cured of your anxiety by arguing the truth about God into your heart. You rest when you can argue from the big picture to the little pieces of your life, when you can drill the truth of God deep down into your heart. Second, you get cured of your anxiety by resting. We've been talking about rest for several weeks now, uh, heading into Christmas. And because of that, we can only look at a few passages um, over this time. But rest is a humongous theme in the Bible. It is all over the place from beginning to end. I mean, the whole thing, the whole story begins with what? God creating the world and then resting on the seventh day. And we are, we are urged by God through His Word to rest in His promises. God's people are to pilgrimage toward a land of rest. God commands us. It's not a suggestion. He commands us to enter into rest. And I'll show you more about this in a second, but this is a huge theme in the Bible. And of course, rest is a wonderful antonym for anxiety, right? If you think about this later, you know, anxiety is very hard to define, but it's easy to describe by synonyms. Anxiety is dread, and it's fear, and it's worry, and it's trouble, and it's restlessness, right? But rest is anxiety's antonym. You know, peace, calm, harmony, quiet, rest. You know, before I get too far ahead of myself in this point, I want to say this. I think this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you not only find rest when you can see the big picture of God's providence, but also when you see the goodness of God. Because see, that's the brushstroke that is over this entire passage. You look at the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, and you certainly can see that God can care for them and feed them and clothe them. But it's because of His goodness that He does. Look, in verse 31 through 32, Jesus was saying, don't be like the pagans. Don't waste your time chasing after treasures and delights and masters that are vulnerable to time, circumstance, and sin. He's saying stop running after these things. Stop chasing after these things that moth and rust destroy and that thieves break into steel. Because, and this is what he says, because your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Let me put it to to you like this. When it settles in your heart that God isn't just heavenly, but that He is also your Father, it's a cure for your anxiety in life. Do do you see how personal this is in verse 32? Jesus doesn't say that God is a Father. He says that He is your heavenly Father. 
A, a simple but favorite illustration of mine that some of you have heard uh, many times is about a friend of mine who was in Walmart one Saturday, and the craziness of Walmart on a Saturday, right? We, we all know about that. Um, everyone doing their shopping, and, um, and what's not uncommon on a Saturday in a Walmart is to hear children crying. Um, and uh, chances are, I think I've even seen some adults crying in Walmart on Saturday. Um, but, uh, but little children, you know, they want that toy or they want that candy and they're throwing a fit until mommy or daddy gives them that toy. And on this particular day, my friend said he was doing his shopping and he heard one aisle over a, a child crying. But he said it was unlike a temper tantrum. It was, he could just hear it in, in that child's screams and cries. It was panic and it was fear and it was certainly anxiety, right? And so he walked around the aisle and what he saw was he saw this little boy, young little boy who was all by himself and he had gotten separated from his mother. And, uh, and so he was screaming. He didn't know what to do. And my friend's standing there and he's in the four or five seconds that he had, he's trying to think about what he should do. And then he says he watches the mother come running around the other end of the aisle. And she scoops this child up into her arms. And, um, and he said it was just fascinating. You know, that immediately this child went from absolute terror and panic to being perfectly quiet. But he says he watched. He said what was really amazing was that within 30 seconds, that child was fast asleep in his mother's arms. Right from, from absolute fear and panic and terror, deep anxiety to complete and perfect rest. Listen to me. You were made for the arms of your father. To run into his arms... And to rest in His goodness. His goodness for you. To know with deep conviction in your heart that not only is He heavenly and seated upon His throne and orders His world to provide for you, but that He is also your Father who loves to scoop His children into His arms. He loves to care for you and show you His goodness. And what I'm really saying is that when the rubber meets the road, for you to be cured of your anxiety and rest, It's not enough for you just to believe in God. You have to believe Him. You have to trust Him. You have to climb into His arms and rest. I hope you know the difference. Because one is assent and the other is trust. One is knowledge and the other is real rest. Listen to four verses from Hebrews chapter 4. The author writes, Therefore, since the promise of entering, His rest still stands Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed have entered that rest. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work. We enter God's rest by believing, by trusting, by climbing into His arms. To enter God's rest is to stop your work. 
To stop your striving and all your efforts to try and be your own Lord and your own Savior in your life. Chasing after all these other things you hope will give you fulfillment in this life. I read or heard someone say, I can't remember, that anxiety is a fax to God saying, I don't believe you have my best interest in mind. It was, of course, very dated because it was facts. Um, you know, <laughs> um, it was an email, it was a Snapchat, it was a text message, something like that. that anxi- but anxiety is this clear message that says, I don't think you have my best interest in mind. I don't think you care about me. And listen to me carefully. I know that this is hard. Right? Hard when you feel that what's best for you is this new job. That what's best for you is the health of a loved one. That's what's best for you when you're hurting and suffering or is waiting for any number of circumstances in your life to change. It's hard when you've prayed for things to change and it doesn't feel or seem to you in life like God really cares or has your best interests in mind. But I want you to think something through with me. When Jesus was abandoned... When he was stripped, when he was beaten, and he was naked, and he was all alone with his arms outstretched on the cross, everyone who saw it thought it looked terrible. Right? None of the disciples could imagine that a scene like that could ever be good. Right? For Jesus' Father to answer him with silence when Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But what felt and seemed in that moment like it could only be evil, wicked men crucifying the perfect man, God was using that for beautiful good, to reconcile the whole world to Himself. His own arms, God's own arms were stretched out upon that cross for you. And I know it's not easy, but to get out of your tunnel vision in life, you have to see God's providence and His goodness meet at the cross in Jesus' outstretched arms. You have to climb into His arms there to be reminded that God is always giving you what's best, even in life when it doesn't feel that way or seem that way. You have to have your eyes filled with the wonder of His dying love for you, to find the embrace of His outstretched arms, and then you can rest even when everything else in your life feels like it's falling apart. You can have deep rest. Okay, third, and I'm going to be brief, but this last point fascinates me. You get cured from anxiety by arguing the goodness and the providence of God into your heart, by arguing and resting, but finally by pursuing That sounds a little jarring with resting at first, I think. But see, it fascinates me that Jesus doesn't just say, and you take this passage horribly out of context if you if you say that Jesus just said, Don't be anxious. He doesn't he's not just saying, Don't worry, chill out, relax, take it easy. He's not saying that here. Now, he has a particular advantage here, having made you and everything. He knows what makes you tick. He knows what's in your DNA, and He knows that at your core, you are made to pursue. You are made to chase. You are made to long, right? 
as Bob Dylan, my children hate that I like Bob Dylan, but anyway, he sang a long, long time ago, you got to serve something. you got to serve somebody. you got to pursue something. So Jesus says, argue God's providence and his goodness into your heart. But then in verse 33, he says, seek first. First. The, his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. And it's pure genius because this is what most of our lives or much of our lives amount to. A trading and a swapping of idols. Right, I learned this when I was in the fourth grade. And I went over, over to my uncle's house uh, in Denham Springs, Louisiana. And he had the biggest, they don't sell it like this at Sam's Costco. It was the biggest industrial bag of peppermint candies that I had ever seen in my life. Um, and in fourth grade, that was pretty awesome. Um, and so I was blown away. And um, I said, why do you have all these candies, Uncle Tim? And uh, in his own Swamp People Cajun accent, he says to me, because I quit smoking, right? <laughs> so to get rid of one addiction, you replace it with another. That's how it works, right? Get rid of one idol, and you replace it with another. I, haven't you noticed that someone says, I'm going to quit having all of these bad relationships with men? And very often, that is followed by an eating disorder or some other kind of compulsion. Or I'll stop obsessing over my hard marriage, and I'll become obsessed with my career because that's how I can get the approval that I need. Or I'll stop being crushed by my failures to be a good person. And I'll work real hard at rebelling and running in the opposite direction. I could think of a thousand of these, but we do it all the time, right? Trading and swapping idols. I saw this great quote from the preacher Tim Keller a while ago, and here's how he put it. If you uproot an idol in your life, and you fail to plant the love of Christ in its place, the idol will grow back. Right? It's not that it might grow back. It will grow back. And it might be a different version altogether, but it will grow back in your life if you do not put the love of Christ there. Because you've got to serve something. You have to pursue something. So Jesus says, let me give your heart that has to have something to pursue. Let me give your heart a vision for something that will never let you down, can never be diminished or taken away from you. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, Jesus says. He says, chase that and you will find the real freedom you've been longing for all along. Chase that and you will find real rest. Seek Jesus and his kingdom first It's about priorities. Your life and my life very often becomes a mess, a jumbled mess of of out-of-whack priorities, chasing first treasures and masters that can never deliver on their promises of rest. And Jesus says, come and make my kingdom and my righteousness your priority. Make this upside-down kingdom of mine full of grace and compassion and forgiveness and sacrifice and truth and inside-out transformation. He says, make that first. Make that your chief delight. Make that your treasure and everything else will fall into place. Why do I say that everything else will fall into place? Because Jesus says in verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus is saying, 
When you aim at earth instead of heaven, you will get neither. But when you aim at heaven instead of earth, you will get heaven and the earth thrown into. When the kingdom and Jesus' righteousness becomes your priority, you are set free to rest and enjoy the good things of this life, to enjoy them as they were meant to be enjoyed in your life, in such a way that the rattling chains can never enslave you anymore, in such a way that you can enjoy the good things of this life without being anxious over them, because your chief delight and your supreme treasure is God's everlasting kingdom and righteousness. And here's the big question. How do you make the kingdom and God's righteousness your priority, your treasure in life? It's a big question because I know many of you have tried emotionally to work yourselves into making it a priority. And I know others of you who have tried to discipline yourself and just try harder to make it your priority. And you've been disappointed every time. Listen, a couple chapters over in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus told this little parable. Actually, two just many parables that he put together. And they went like this. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let me try to flip these parables from the way many of you have read them or heard them in the past. Because what if, what if Jesus was talking about himself? In other words, what if instead of telling you to sell all you have, to get that treasure in the field or that fine pearl, that he is describing actually what he did. I mean, think about the Christmas story. The king, who the psalmist tells us, owned the cattle on a thousand hills. He gave up all his riches to be born a little baby in a manger. The Lord of heaven whose glory the heavens cannot hope to contain, as the psalmist writes. He stooped, and he became a child born in obscurity. A king who exchanged his crown of glory for a crown of thorns for you. He gave up everything he had a right to. Why? Because you were his treasure. You were his treasure that he sold everything to have. And to get, let's go back to the book of Hebrews one last time, chapter 12. And it says there that Jesus, for the joy, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy that was set before him, that was you, the author of Hebrews is saying. You were his joy, you were his treasure. You were his priority that sent him to the cross. And this is the secret of making the kingdom and God's righteousness your priority and your treasure and really finding rest when you see that you are his treasure. It loosens your grip on all your earthly treasures.
when you see that you are of such value to him that he would die for you, it sets you free. It changes everything. And now you see everything differently. And everything else in your life starts to find its right place. Someone once told me after one of my sermons, um, maybe you ought to stop talking about rest too much because it's really it's beginning hard to make people serve and volunteer. Um, and it was, it was a great point because maybe I haven't been clear enough up until this point. You cannot rest without pursuing something. You have to pursue. But when you really see what Jesus has done for you in the gospel, it frees you to pursue his kingdom and his righteousness with joy deep in your heart. Do you want to rest? Do you want to be cured of your anxiety? Then you need to learn how to argue the truth of God's providence and goodness into your heart. Then you need to pursue his kingdom because the king of the kingdom has already pursued you. He came and was born, and he lived, and he died for you. And if you can find that, you will find rest for your souls, the rest that Jesus came into the world to give us. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, it is good and right that we would call you not just heavenly, but our Father. You are our Father who ordains and rules over all things, but you are our Father who also cares for us and has given to us even your only Son. Father, we pray that you would lift our eyes to see Jesus, that you would fill our eyes with wonder at this time of year to consider that Jesus gave up all his riches to come and to be born, to live and to die for us in order that He might give us the rest we were made to enjoy, the rest He came and redeemed us to enjoy. Father, we pray that You would write these truths, the truths of Your Word, deep into our hearts. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.